For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The writer to the Hebrews has told them that more faith is the answer to their problem. So here in chapter 11, he's surveying the lives of dearly loved Old Testament heroes to inspire his congregation to imitate their faith so they can receive what God has promised. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, Faith Before the Flood. Well, perhaps you saw in the news story uh, this month, a man named Louis Jordan set out uh, on his 35-foot sailboat from South Carolina uh, late January. He headed into the Gulf Stream looking for some uh, good spots to fish. And then everything in his life was turned upside down, quite literally. Uh, Not only did the boat capsize, uh, its mast broke and so to his shoulder. And so he was injured and he was adrift for 66 days. Uh, He he bought time by rationing water and collecting uh, it from the rain. Uh, He also used his laundry to just fish out uh, some of the fish and, 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 you know, he had sushi, apparently, (laughs) you know, it has a happy ending, so I can joke about it, all right? A German flagged uh, container ship is what spotted him and and, uh, 200 miles off the coast of North Carolina uh, on Thursday, he was hauled in, and so according to the article here, uh, it, there was a really, I have a picture of the rescue. Well, I actually got off the helicopter, you know, and so uh, also the, the real moving part was the conversation with the dad and the mom, you know, always just moves your heart, you know, and he has one of those relationships with his dad that, you know, they're best friends and the dad is just barely able to speak, but the dad looks at him and chokes up and he, and he says, um, he says, I, th- I, I, I think that I almost I, I had my worst fear realized. I thought I lost you. Oh, man. But they hugged, and it was awesome. Thank you for those pics. And uh, they, you know, I think maybe the pastor writing to the Hebrews really came to mind because they kept talking about drifting dangerously. You know, when you have no engine and no sail to propel you, you're just kind of at the mercy of the current. And that was their spiritual condition, this first century congregation of converted Hebrews, converted Jews, uh, to their Messiah, Jesus, our Messiah. Uh, They uh, were upside down. I mean, they got capsized in their lives through persecution. And I mean, they started out great when they first came to the Lord. Uh, they even weathered some of the, their persecution. It was indeed some pretty harsh stuff. They had their, their possessions confiscated. They were publicly shamed and disgraced and uh, all kinds of terrible things. But they were okay, but then there was a lull and things got, things on the outside improved and as often is the case, then inwardly they declined. 
you know. So they became kind of uh, lazy spiritually. Uh, they stopped going to church. Chapter 10 said, hey, uh, you know, what's up with that? You know, and, and that was the problem. They became weak and they got hard-hearted and because they were unplugged from the fellowship. They weren't hearing the word. They weren't worshiping the Lord together. It only takes... Uh, man, it doesn't take very long when you unplug a person from the Christian corporate uh, worship to get uh, to, to be drifting. And so the Holy Spirit, through the writer to the Hebrews, has been hammer, hammering away now, uh, saying, I've got the answer. I've got the answer to your problem. After 10 chapters, hammering away at all the wonderful reasons to stick uh, with Jesus to stay the course uh, through sobering warnings and consequences about what it means to, to turn from Christ after knowing him and knowing the truth. He talks to them now, hey, I've got the answer to restart your onboard engines, to reset the mast and the sail to get you back on course. And it all comes down to one simple word, faith. Faith, wow, it's just a simple word, but it's so profound, I mean, because it's everything to the Christian life. And so he's already signaled now as we're getting ready to dive back into chapter 11. He's already said four chapters ago, he says, we don't want you to become spiritually dense or, or undisciplined and lazy with your Christian life, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. And so now he's going to pause, take all of chapter 11. He's going to explain first, as we looked at last week, verses 1 through 3 was a definition of the nature of faith. And, and if you missed that, you can always listen off of the app or go online. But we, we talked about that last week. Uh, and, and, and it was a nice little definition. Uh, taking God at his word, directing your life accordingly, even though circumstances may seem contrary. Uh, that's a pretty simple way of putting it. It's the even though part that we figured out that makes faith what faith is. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though this is my circumstance, uh, I am not afraid because through faith I know that thou art with me. And that's comfort, right? But even though, it's always even though. Peter even said, you know, not, I don't want to re-preach last week's service, but uh, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 8. It's always the even though. Even though. Even though we fished all night, Lord. The Lord said, hey, put out for a catch. We, even though we fished all night and we caught zero. And even though I'm a fisherman and you're a carpenter and a rabbi. And I know more about fish than you do. Uh, and even though you don't catch fish during the day, even though we'll go out and throw our nets overboard. And then what happens? The evidence of things unseen. You see, you bow the knee and then you see, right? That's how it goes. And so uh, we looked at that. 
And now, after we got a definition of faith, one through three, it's time for him to take about 20 characters from the Hebrew scriptures we call the Old Testament. Uh, and all these Hebrews know these guys and gals. And they're all famous because they were ordinary people who did extraordinary things all because of that word, faith. And he wants them to see, hey, I just defined what faith is. Now I want you to see it working in real people's lives. People you've read since you're a little guy. People you admire. We want to imitate them because if we imitate them, we're going to be blessed. So he's going to roll out now the start of about 20 Quick little hit, exhibit A, <laughs> exhibit B, and he's going to go down and we're going to get to see 20 or so Old Testament characters who exemplify what it means to live by faith. We start first here with verse four. So by faith, Abel, he's a reaching way back, offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he's dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. That sounds familiar. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, he built an ark to save his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. All right, well, that's a handful. We're going to park there and reflect upon these. And what I love is when the text divides nicely into three points, because you have three cases for faith. You know, what more can a pastor want? You know, when it's just nice, there it is. And and, uh, we could just look at these lives and, and be Blessed. Uh, three lessons here about faith. First of all, faith puts us right with God, right? So how to be saved. Now, number two, faith allows us to walk with God, how to please God. And number three, faith motivates us to work with God, to serve him, to be part of the answer, part of God's um, plan on this earth. Uh, so, so let's go ahead. We'll isolate the first verse and the first point. All right. Uh, we're going to reach way back with exhibit A. Abel. All right. How to be saved. How to get right with God. Now, if you're a new person to the church, we, we, we call each other saved. You know, that's the question. Are you saved? Yeah. I got, when did you get saved? I got saved. Well, we're talking about escaping the condemnation, right? Uh, what did Gabriel tell Joseph in the Christmas narrative? Uh, you'll give him the name Jesus, which means the Lord saves, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so, yeah, saving us from the wages of sin is death. 
And true death is eternal separation from God. So we are saved from that because of Jesus and the work he did on the cross. And so he reaches way back to Abel and he's going to say, let me show you Abel's faith as, it, as it's compared to his brothers, okay? And he reaches back to uh, Genesis chapter 3, really, tells the story of the fall. Somebody said Genesis 3 tells how the world got into trouble and then after Genesis 3, the whole Bible is about how God went about to fix it, you see? And so what happened, you already know what happened with Adam and with Eve. And of course, he doesn't reach back to Adam to start with faith because Adam and Eve's faith was sight. They woke up out of creation to a face, right? So, but yet they still had a trust. They still had to have faith. They still had to uh, cooperate with God, and we can tell that they did that in that uh, their shame, as it were, was covered with animal skins, and God made coverings for them, uh, but uh, somebody had a, sh well, their blood was shed. So it, it typifies looking forward to the cross, and, and Eve says something like, you know, she gives birth to her firstborn, and she says, with the Lord's help, I deliver this boy. And so they're walking with the Lord. Their shame is covered. You're going to see them in heaven. But he doesn't use them for faith because they're kind of in a unique situation. They're boys, however. Now, as the Lord kind of withdraws there from the garden because now he's going to let everybody be born so that they can make a choice. And so he's going to withdraw. And it says in Genesis 4 that at that time, men began to seek the Lord and call upon his name. And so the parents tell the two boys, you know, call upon this God. This is what needs to happen to approach him. We have passed our sin on to you. And if you're going to be right with God, then you'll have to bring him a sin offering appropriate, what he's asked for. There'll have to be a, 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 a blood offering to represent your stand-in that takes your sins away so that you can have a relationship with God. Now, by faith, they both knew that. By faith, Abel offers a better sacrifice. In Hebrew, the word greater means superior or excellent or greater in quality. Why is it greater than his brothers? Well, because his offering portrays the cross and foreshadows how we are made right with him. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. We don't even use this word. You know, we did use it in the 60s to say, cool, you know, uh, righteous man, you know. <clears throat> and now if you use the word, what happens? Yeah. Oh, she's so righteous, right? We don't know what that word means. Let me tell you what it means in the Greek. The goodness that comes from being set right with God. That's what that word means. And, and look what set him right with God. His offering. Oh, the whole Old Testament. You bring an offering, you're, the worshiper was never checked out. Never. It didn't matter who the person was. You know what the priests examined? The offering had to be checked. Levitical codes, it had to be certain you know, requirements. It had to be perfect. It couldn't be blemished, and they had to check because it foreshadows the truth of the gospel. That's not about us, about what we do or we don't do, being good enough and all of that. 
It's about the sacrifice you bring. He says, God spoke a good thing about him. No, about, oh man, you by faith, you listen, and you brought the more humbling sacrifice. And that is what put him right with God. And so you got the gospel right here. So Cain, what does Cain do? Cain knows. Oh, well, I'm going to prove that in a second. Uh, Cain brings an offering of the best of his agricultural products. We've got a slide of that. This is what he brought, okay? They're beautiful. You know, he's proud. He's worked long and, and, and hard hours with the sweat of his brow, and he says he knows what God wants, and he says, this is good enough. Right, so what did his brother bring? By faith. His brother brought the lamb as he was told to bring. An example of a substitute that would bleed and die, pay for his sins, and make fellowship with God possible. It's the only way. And by faith, even though it was bloody and it was messy and it was humbling because it said, I'm helpless. Everything depends on this. I can't boast about what I bring. <laughs> I can't impress you by being uh, good enough and look at my achievement and look what I've done. That's not going to fly. That was re rejected. You know, we, we have the whole story in Genesis 4. You know, why don't you keep that up there for a while? <laughs> I like that one. Um, we have the whole story. So we know Cain knew because God sees him after God rejected the offering. So he brings his basket in and God says, man, come on. No. This, yes. That, no. And then he throws a little hissy fit there, and, and it doesn't say hissy fit, but he, he, he did his little thing. He's an unbeliever, red face with his ears, you know, all red, and the steam coming out, and his face downcast. And the Lord says to him, what's the matter with you? He's Italian, apparently. <laughs> I don't know where these accents come from. I do not ask for them. <laughs> They just show up. I get like this. So what's the matter with you? You know, he says, what's the matter with you? What's up with the sad face? He says, why don't you try doing the right thing? And then you'll be 100% accepted just like your brother. And instead of correcting his error, he kills his brother. And it's been that way ever since. And so one writer put it this way. I really like this. Phillips, John Phillips. He said, essentially, Cain established the world's first false religion. And he goes on to say, essentially, Cain's religion was one of good deeds and human merit. According to him, salvation must be earned. He must pay the price. He offered to God the product of his labors and the sweat of his brow his toil and his self-effort. The New Testament sums up that ill-fated approach to God in Jude and calls it the way of Cain. 
there is a way that seems right to a man or to a woman, but in the end, it ends in destruction and death. That is the way of Cain. To sing at your funeral, I did it my way, that's a mistake. You want the song, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. You also could consider, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross, I cling. Just amazing, just amazing. So Cain says, you know what? I'm good enough. (laughs) I'll work hard enough. You want to compare me to the guy down the street? I don't stand around with a sign. You know, I'll give a guy the shirt off my back and I work long 14-hour days and I built this thing. You want to know what I started with? Oh, man. You're headed for disaster with God because you can't do it on your own. That's the, the whole message of the offering. Well, modern day times, which is it? Is it gonna be your effort or is it gonna be someone else's? I mean, your effort may look like this, you know. Uh, you know, I, I, on my strength, my accomplishments, my whatever, me, myself, and I-ness. Are you responsible for the work that requires, is required to get to heaven or is someone else working? Let's see this someone else. Do you not tell me that you could match that? That's not a man only. He appears to be fully man, for he is. But he's fully God as well. There there was no man involved in his conception. That is why he is fully God and fully man. Doing the work and the sacrifice and the stand-in for your sins to be applied on him, he is working. He is working. He is doing what you could never do. So you must bring by faith this offering or you will be rejected. That, my friend, is the message of Abel. And he says, and by the way, thank you for that. I'm going to put the lamb on. Or how about the verses? Thank you. He says, by the way, he's still speaking, even though he died about 4,000, 5,000 years ago. See, he died 6,000 years ago, and he's speaking. He's speaking. They're not sleeping. People don't sleep when they go. You know, whichever place they go, they're alive and well, and they're talking. Luke 16. You get a, a, a look at a departed saved person and a departed damned person. They're both very much alive. They're not sleeping or dreaming. You know, in Revelation... I believe it's chapter five or six. I think I wrote it down even. There is the tribulation saints, those who die as Christians. They're beheaded for Christ. They die and they're seen in heaven talking to the Lord. How long? How long avenge our blood? They're not sleeping. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body and unsaved is to be in the holding place. That's not very comfortable according to uh, Luke 16. But I digress. All right, let's move on. Exhibit B time. By faith, Enoch, he's a fun guy, 
was taken. I need you to see the emphasis here. He was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found (laughs) because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And we already know that that can only be done through faith. It's not by works. And without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. And so now we've seen how to get set right with God, how to be saved, and now we're going to see how to walk with God. It's kind of nice how it lines up like that and how to please him. I like what one commentator said about this kind of bizarre account. It would seem to most readers that through, through the mentioning of Enoch's abrupt disappearance, that God is making a statement that demands some pulling together of other passages to know and to realize its full significance for being there. Why are you telling us this? Oh, and by the way, Enoch, by faith, you know, he's around and then pff, disappeared. <laughs> Go figure. You know, well, we're supposed to go figure, and I think it's going, we are going to go figure right now. I want to see if you (laughs) can figure out, you've been in church for a while, you've been reading your Bible, you've been hearing stuff. I just want to see if you can kind of connect some dots and and to see if you know what this could be referring to. So what do we have here to work with? Well, we've got a believer who's living in a reprobate, violent, immoral world that is heading for full-on catastrophic destruction. This is pre-flood. By the way, these four that are in this first category are there because they all lived before the flood, all right? And so that's what they have in common. So, So it's a nightmare out there. The world is getting ready to essentially be destroyed Uh, And God was regretfully preparing uh, that to happen. Now, Enoch was a shining light during this dark, dark time. And um, Jude, in Jude, we have an excerpt from one of his sermons that he used to preach down there, down in the court square, downtown, wherever he was. Uh, Here it is for you from Titus. And Enoch, the seventh from uh, Adam, so he was the great, 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 great grandson of Adam. He's number seven. He's also the father of Methuselah. And Enoch, seventh from the generation from Adam, prophesied about the false prophets in the last days. Look, the Lord comes with thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to Uh, convict them of their ungodly deeds that they have done in ungodly ways and all of the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. He's prophesying about Armageddon and and the last days and he's seventh from Adam already. So here he is, he's living in in a corrupt society that, that has impending judgment ready to come, right? He's preaching and sharing the gospel, talking about that judgment, trying to warn people about the judgment to come. And then he, before the judgment comes and the rain comes, he just disappears. Hmm. I wonder what that could be. God just took him. 
Matthew 24, Enoch is looking and talking about uh, impending doom. And the New Testament speaks of the last days. Uh, and Enoch's b- bizarre disappearance seems to fit into the story about how the New Testament says the end will come. Enoch fits perfectly. And it makes sense. First he's here, now you see him, now you know. And they, in the text it says they look for him and they can't find him. Right? That's a testimony to them. Whoa, wow. What happened to this preacher who's always talking about heaven? The judgment comes down. Where is he? He was taken before. Let's read about Matthew, and most people miss it here. As the days of Noah were, Jesus speaking, so the coming of the Son of God, the Son of Man, same thing, will be. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah boarded the ark. They didn't know until the flood came and swept them all away. So, now, this is where most Christians stop reading. He's not done talking about the sign and what to look for. So, this is the way the coming of the Son uh, Son of Man will be. Colon. He's defining, when you see a colon, it means I'm about to define what this sentence just said. This is how the Son of God coming will be. Two will be in a field. One will be taken, there's the word, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day... The Lord is coming. So we, we, we get the first part, you know, Noah's generation. We get it. There's going to be a surprise. Business as usual, right? Business as usual can't be going on if it's the end. Because at the end of chapters 6 through 18 of Revelation, there's no business as usual. <laughs> so something Jesus is talking about, it's going to be a business as usual day. And someone's going to be Taken. Sound familiar? Noah's generation, as in the days of Noah. Who do you think was in the days of Noah? Enoch. And why is he connecting it to one will be taken, one will be left? Because Enoch in Noah's generation was taken. When? Before the rain came and destroyed the world. Well, there's more. (laughs) Verse Thessalonians. You're going to have to deal with these, you know. For we say to you this <laughs> according to the Lord's own words. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, got that, with the archangel's voice, okay, and the trumpet of God, got it. And we who are alive will be what caught up, taken together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in where? On the ground? No, in the air, we're taken. And so will we always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Okay, let's just do the math here, folks, okay? Uh, for according to the Lord's own words, when, what words did he ever speak that tell us that somebody's going up? Where's that? Show me that according to the Lord's own words. Well, I'll show you right now. When he says, in Noah's day, one will be taken, the other left, according to the Lord's own words. We, and now he's saying, 
Let me just elaborate on what Jesus meant by that. We who are alive, a trumpet will sound, we go up. Oh, come on, he's, a, he's supposed to be coming down and, and, and establishing a kingdom. Did you miss this in John 14? This, this should fix everything. And on the night he's betrayed, Last Supper, he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you'll always be where I am. Okay, excuse me. If you're coming back, right, and you're setting up, where, where does he set up? He's not taking anyone to heaven, folks. Heaven descends. The new Jerusalem comes down here. Heaven comes here. Heaven is on earth for 1,000 years, right? But he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you, right? That where I'll be, I'm going to take you to be with me. Where's that? He's taking us to meet him. We We get a little time in heaven before heaven is going to descend and the new Jerusalem comes here, and for a thousand years, we're on planet Earth in a, in a garden setting in paradise and what the Bible refers to as heaven. I just said, you know, it just goes on. I, I, I've got one more. I'm sorry. I'm out of control. <laughs> Listen, Paul speaking, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm telling you a mystery, man. We're not all going to die. We're not all going to die but we'll all be changed. That word is related to the same word as change translated. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, there's that trumpet call again. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. That means the body, the body sleeps. The soul does not sleep. And we will be changed, you see, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. And so that, you know, He's saying, I tell you a mystery. Is it the mystery of Enoch? I mean, God promised the church, Revelation 3.10, I make promise to you. I will spare you the hour of tribulation that is coming upon the whole world. How does he do that? Well, back in the day of Noah, right before the judgment came, uh, Enoch was taken. It fits nice, I think. So we need to move on. Because he had faith, he pleased God. And a great definition there. He knew God was there and that God faithfully rewards those who seek him and make an effort to walk with him. That's a beautiful description. And because he pleased God, by faith alone, God took him in the midst of a hostile, unbelieving world. He didn't experience death, nor did he experience the flood. All right, we've got one more specimen to take a look at, and that would be verse 7 and Noah. And there's a little extra kind of uh, unique spin on this one. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became, became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So, um, so number three then, so we've seen how to get right with God, how to be saved, right, from Abel. And then Enoch teaches us how to walk with God, how to please God and get the benefit of escaping his wrath. And number three, how to be useful to God at the close of human history. How to be useful in, in the face of a crisis, 
of impending judgment. This is part you want to be paying attention to. Now, like Noah, we live in a day of impending judgment. Jesus told us the signs. We have them before us. The increase in natural disasters, the increase in spiritual deception, the decline in morality and faith, the climate of impending wars. He says, when you see these things happening, just know that it's near. And so what the use of this uh, reference for the Hebrews who are kind of waffling around is to say that truth, true faith motivates you to action to be part of God's uh, saving work. In other words, can Hebrews, listen, hey, wake up here. Something bigger than all of your problems and all of your troubles is happening. God is about to judge the entire planet and he's depending on you to, to help him to provide people a way out. Will you participate in that? Or are you going to be all caught up in your own thing? Now, what did God tell Noah? He said, I'm going to judge this world. I'm going to wipe the place out. I'm going to start all over again. I have it for you. Here's all the information that Noah had. When the Lord saw that that man's wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every scheme his mind thought of was nothing but evil all of the time, the Lord grieved in his heart. That word is a, like tear your heart. He was regretting that he had made man on the earth and his heart was grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe off the face of the earth man whom I created together with the animals, creatures that crawl and the birds of the sky for I regret that I made them. And Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. Now, God speaks. He's never seen rain, but he drops everything and starts to make his life about building that boat. He hasn't seen rain. Genesis 2 says that these were days before rain was necessary. The earth was watered with a mist. It was like a little terrarium with a little biosphere bubble around it. And life was very, very different before the flood. And, and, and the rainbow only shows up Later, that's the first appearance of a rainbow after the flood, which proves he didn't know what God was talking about. I'm going to send rain. What's rain? Well, some clouds are going to come. What's a cloud? You know, it's been sunny and mild for like 2,000 years, Lord. (laughs) Can you imagine that poor weather guy? (laughs) Guess what today is. You're right, sunny and mild. Perfect. (laughs) But the Lord says, oh, there's going to be a change. It's called rain. He doesn't say, Lord, I need more. I need to see a picture. Can you show me a picture? Can can I feel a few drops first, you know? He just hears, hears faith. He hears impending disaster coming. I'm bringing it. I'll tell you why. But I'm not going to tell you so much about how, but it's going to be wet. Get to work. So he lays aside all of his troubles. You don't think he had troubles? He had a life. He had plans. He had hopes and dreams and issues. But what's more important? When God presses in and says, hey, I'm not going to tell everybody, but I'm going to tell a few. There's impending doom. I'm going to wipe the place out and start all over again. 
How is that any different than anybody in this room knowing the gospel? New Testament, we don't just need the day of the Lord and the wrath of his coming from the Old Testament. Oh, the New Testament is enough. The earth and the heavens will roll up, Second Peter, like a scroll and everything laid bare with a blast of fire. Revelation 6, Revelation 7, Revelation 8, Revelation 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18 describe back-to-back 21 judgments. Seven seals unfolded and judgment falls. The earth is on fire and people are dying and missiles, missile-type things are flying and falling and contaminating the whole earth. 21 seals are open. 21 judgments follow, seven judgments follow that, I should say. Seven angels come forth after the seven seals. And seven angels, one by one, blow, and a judgment falls again. Each one on top, worse than the other one. It's called the Great Tribulation. Oh, but wait. There's seven more, seven more. They're called the bulls. They're the final seven bulls and they're dumped upon the earth and the mountains disappear. Islands are, are gone and missing. The earth's geography's changed. The sun, moon, and stars don't function properly. You either have faith that that's gonna happen And the person to whom you are speaking is either going to escape that or live through that or die in that. If you have faith, like Noah, because Noah heard it and said, oh, come on, Uh, we don't have an excuse. Like Noah could have said, I don't know what rain is. I've never seen a storm. Oh, come on, you know about the whole earth? How are you going to do that? Drink a lot of water. Oh, we don't get that luxury, do we? We've seen World War II. Oh, we've seen the Holocaust. We've seen two atom bombs drop. 70-year-old nukes. Those are old-school nukes. (laughs) Okay, sorry. Those are old-school nukes, man. Do you know what we can do today? So we have no excuse because we live in a world where Israel is in the land The right partners are partnering just like Ezekiel 38 says. Ezekiel 38 says that Russia and Iran are going to make a pact to invade Israel. And you can just Google Russia and Iran and you're going to have the current president, the new one of Iran and President Putin holding hands and now lifting a ban to send missiles from Russia to Iran and to use our uranium also to sell to Iran. Iran, about, yeah, there's too many words in that sentence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, we live in a world with technology where you can look at a phone and everybody can be looking at the same thing. You live in a world that has technology uh, that, that one world ruler could use. To monitor, you live in a world where one world ruler could make sense. You live in a world where the technology can help monitor everybody 
and prevent you from buying and selling unless you cooperate with that world ruler. You live in that world now. You have no excuse to say, oh, 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 one world ruler, how would that ever work? Right? We already kind of have a dress rehearsal of that going on right now. A bomb that could wipe out a whole region. How would that? You have no excuse, especially when it says he's going to do it. And now it's unfolding in front of us. And if you have faith, then that's being expressed that you have dropped your stuff and now you are working in some way to be part of the answer. Or, man, you don't have faith. I'm sorry. If you have faith, there's something wrong with you and your faith. Because if Jesus Christ himself was speaking, by the way, people love to say, I only listen to what Jesus says now. Did Jesus say it? Well, this one, (laughs) Jesus said it. John 3.36. He who has the Son has life. He who doesn't have the son shall not see life for the wrath of God remains upon them. That's in red in your Bible. That's Jesus speaking. If you have faith as Noah had faith, when you get the word and you truly believe the word because you have faith, then that will show itself in building, in contributing, in praying, in preaching and sharing. Not everybody's an evangelist. Not everybody's called to be a Bible expert. Uh, You know, God has those. He's gifted the church with those people. But everybody, no matter who you are, you're telling your kids about the Lord. You're living an example that, what? Condemns the world. Go, go, here, here, let me show you this, what that means. By his faith, he condemned the world. What does that mean? It's a lot less harsh than it sounds. How he lived was contrary to the way of the world. And so he, his, his message in life was always kind of saying, hey, you're going about this the wrong way, right? You need to turn from your sins and find the truth in God. That's how he condemned the world. He wasn't out there going, won't God condemn you? He was living the truth. And the example of the truth condemned the world. I had a guy, I brought my car in years ago for, I've told you this before, the transmission problem. And I was like 100 miles over the warranty. So I go in and he says, yeah, checked it out. You need a new transmission. And he says, takes me aside. He says, hey, I'm as honest as the day is long. (laughs) We're about to have a total solar eclipse, by the way. I'm as honest as the day is long. And I noticed that you're like just a few miles over your warranty. You know, I, I could just kind of change the numbers, you know, and, and it just it's 100 miles. It's 100 miles, right? And, and you'll get a new transmission. I'll get paid and everybody will be happy. And I said, except the Lord. That's how he condemned the world. That's wrong. That's condemnable behavior. That's breaking, you're breaking a commandment, dude. You see? It wasn't in his face. It's just the way we live, right? That's just the way we live. And instead, he becomes heir 
of being right with God and all that that means, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, reigning and ruling with Christ forever and ever and ever. So just, just an, an, an amazing thing, I think the point is, is if you have faith, then you're a co-laborer. Whatever that looks like in your world. You know, I told the first service, you know, you don't need to be an extrovert. Some of you are like just, just beating yourself up because you, you, don't, you can't remember where the verses are and you're not a, you don't know the Bible very well, but it's in your heart. And on top of everything else, you're shy, right? God knows all of that. There's a way to be you and shine. But you can't be just not thinking at all. Where's this person going to end up? You can't be so self-absorbed in your own life that you can't be part of building the boat down here or building this or bringing the wood or doing something or paying or helping to bring the wood. There's so many ways. But somewhere in your heart, faith has got to say, whoa, I just read Revelation and I heard Jesus' words and I heard about a fiery furnace. In a lamb's book of life, I gotta build. I gotta get over myself here, right? Let me close with uh, this illustration. A uh, bunch of, and I've used this one before, but it's a good one. Uh, a bunch of life uh, guards were having a celebration. I forget the city, I think it's in New Orleans. And uh, it was back in 1985, and the summer had gone without a single incident. So they had a party, a uh, hundred lifeguards uh, through the party to celebrate the first summer in memory that no one had drowned at the New Orleans City pool. Um, at the end of the party, 31-year-old Jerome Moody was found at the bottom of the deep end of the New Orleans Recreational Department pool. Moody himself was not a lifeguard and apparently had been swimming fully dressed when he drowned. There, there was beer served. There were four lifeguards actually on duty at the party and nearly 100 other certified lifeguards present. When the lifeguards found Moody, they tried to revive him, but he was already dead. There's a, on Sunday, you know, there's a big celebration here. People ask me, how's it going at the church? Both services are full. We're out of room. We're being blessed. Hallelujah. Celebration. But you know what? There are people in here who are not saved. And there are people around your dinner table who are not saved. And you commute with a guy who's not saved. <laughs> who God arranged and put you there. I said, well, once they know what's coming and what's in store for this person who's rejected Christ, they're going to do something. They're going to say something. They're going to at least pray. They're not going to let the guy come into my office, sit there, talk about whatever business it is you do, and not even cross your mind when, a, when an opening comes to share the gospel. Oh, no, no, no. You know why? Look at that. He can, by faith, he was able to stand up and say something unpopular that showed you're wrong. By faith, that takes courage, that takes faith, because today everybody wants everybody to like them, so we water everything down. We want to be Christian enough 
without being offensive and narrow-minded and judgmental. Well, you know what? Narrow-minded, Jesus Christ said, narrow's the way that leads to life and few there be that find it. Oh, if I'm narrow-minded in that way, that's a compliment, all right? Judgmental does not mean that we don't point out to the world, uh, sir, that is breaking a command. I cannot roll back the odometer for my personal gain. How judgmental are you? Okay, that's not being judgmental by pointing out right and wrong in society. But it takes faith because everybody's going to say, hey, I'm the new evangelical Christian. Without moral boundaries, everything's cool. I want to be your friend. I want you to applaud me. I want to fit in with everybody. I don't want anybody to rock the boat at work. I'm just going to just let you go to hell without one word from me. Because why? Because what matters to me is what you think of me and my popularity more than the eternal destiny of your soul when I know full well what the Bible says about your destination. Come on. Come on, people. Let's work together with him. Let our faith show itself in our caring concern. And once again, I didn't finish my thought. You're shy. You're not an evangelist. You're not really big. You can invite people to church. Listen, it's my job to be like the crazy man at the mall. All right? You don't, you don't, you don't need to be that person. God's got a few of us around, running around. You know? Listen, I told you, how many of you do not know the Easter Bunny story at the mall? You've never heard me say the Easter Bunny story. You neglected people. Listen, I understand this is not you, but... In my particular calling, all right, I'm at the mall. I see the Easter bunnies and the Easter bunny thing where they can take pictures with the little kids on their Easter bunny-like knees. And I'm always snarling every time I walk by that Easter bunny. It's like, it's Resurrection Sunday, you know? So anyway, this poor Easter bunny was on its break, and it was... And it was hopping along in my direction. And we were going to have a head-on collision with the Easter Bunny. And I was like, yes, <laughs> finally. So I grabbed the Easter Bunny gently by the shoulders. And I look into one of the eye. <laughs> I couldn't see anything in there. I, I knew someone was in there. <laughs> and I said, listen, it's not about you. It never, <laughs> it never has been about you. It's about Jesus, man. He died for our sins, rabbits and all. <laughs> and he rose again on the third day. It's called a resurrection. And I thought I heard security. <laughs> 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 oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. <laughs> I did hear something like a little bit uh, uh, frightened, you know. <laughs> I know, you know, I think they maybe were laughing. I hope they were laughing, but you know, we—I laughed at the end. I don't think, I don't think they were traumatized. If you turn out to be that Easter Bunny, please let me, please let me know. But yeah, you know what? Listen, you, you got, you've got a life. You've got a unique skills and talents, and God has put you in the nooks and crannies of life that I can't get to, and I'm jealous. I wish I could get to where the places that you're in and the people you see. 
Some of you are thinking, I wish you could too. (laughs) Bring them here. We'll take care of them. (laughs) Let's pray together. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the true essence of faith that makes us alive inside. We know that you're there and you're listening and you reward those who seek you with evidence of things unseen, changed lives and changed destinations and destinies, I should say. Lord, that's what we want to be about. We thank you, Father, for your wonderful love and the lessons we've learning Brother Enoch, Brother Abel, Brother Abel, how to, how to be right with you, Lord. Brother Enoch, how to walk with you in a pleasing way and how to be effective in serving in calamity. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand together. Closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page.